Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. This week's message continues the sermon series based on I Am a Church Member by Tom S. Brainer. The first four weeks of the sermon series focused on how to be a functioning, unifying, and selfless member of the church who prays for their preacher. And this week, we move to thinking about how we can influence those outside the church. In particular, this week, Pastor David Cartwright reminds us of the influence we have over our family and how we should use this influence to encourage our family to support God's church. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. Our second scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 16. It might seem like a bit of an out-of-the-way passage. Um, Paul is wrapping up his correspondence to the Corinthian church. We'll share these words from 1 Corinthians 16, verses 15 through 20. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice, I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Pris- Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, in these moments, may our hearts and our minds be open and attentive to you. Dwell richly in our midst, Holy Spirit. Have your way with us. Lead me, God, by your Spirit that I would speak words of truth, seasoned with love, spoken in simplicity, that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. For every good thing that we receive and experience now, we give only to you the praise and the glory. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. We continue this week a series based on the book uh, by Tom S. Rayner called I Am a Church Member. And we talked this week about family, connecting the home family with the church family. I would begin by inviting you to remember that every one of you, regardless of how old you are, where you are, what your family dynamic is, every one of you is a person of influence. Influence well, in my mind, very simply put, means that you are able to impact the thinking and the life of another person. That's influence. 
It may not necessarily be from a position of authority. That, that can be a little bit different. Someone who has authority means that you can impact that person regardless of whether they want their life impacted. You know, if the CEO comes down and you're sitting at your desk and that CEO d says for you to do something, you have basically two options. You either do it or turn in your resignation. Um, but in influence is, what I'm talking about is an impact that you have in the lives of other people because they have willfully given you the opportunity to impact them because you are important to them, because they respect you, because they have opened their minds and their hearts to, to receive the, the wisdom, the insight, uh, the knowledge that you have to give them. And particularly what I'm talking about this morning is that for every one of us, you in your families are a person of influence. Now, I, re I understand that all families are different. None of us fit the, the normal husband, wife, and 2.5 children. You know, that's, all, all families are different. There are some where there are many children. There are some there where there are few children. There are some where there are no children. There are some where there are many aunts and uncles. There are some where there are few. There are some where their household is, uh, you know, that the family has been united over generations. There are some that are, are split in different directions. Every family is unique in that way. But you're all connected in some way. You all have family, even if it's an adopted family or uh, even, even not necessarily legally adopted family. You have those that you consider family that, that you have impact. And even those of you who are young, you still have impact in, in, your, in your family. It's that kind of influence that God wants you to leverage because you... As a part of the body of Christ, you have a mission field. Part of your mission field is your family. God asks every one of us as part of the body of Christ to impact the world, and part of that is the impact that you have in your family. Family, faith, is a family matter. I'll say that again. Your faith, Christian faith, is... A family matter. I'll say more about what I mean by that. God impacts the people of your family through you. God's story of redemption is a story that will connect to your family, to your extended family, through you. The, the reading that we had from Deuteronomy 6 is framed in that kind of thinking, okay? That, that reading from Deuteronomy 6, and, and the context of that, let's remember, is that the people of Israel, they've come out of Egypt, they've come through their wilderness wanderings, they are about ready to be uh, led into the land of promise. And so before God takes them into the, that land of promise, there is this extended narrative in which God is setting them up so that they prosper in the land. And that's what all of this is about. And, and God says in Deuteronomy 6, you know, re remember the Lord your God is one. You're going to fear the Lord your God when you go in there. And what he says to, to parents is that when you get into the land, you make sure that you impact your children with my commandments. And it's not a matter of, uh, of 
helping them to remember the rules so that they become good rule followers. It's a matter of remembering that they are covenant people so that they can remember how good God has been to them in generations past and continue to live in covenant relationship with Him so that they prosper in the land. God, God means it for their good. And how are the children going to know? How are the grandchildren going to know? When the parents, or extended on, when the family members continue that story through the narrative that they weave. God, God says to them, when, when you take those uh, commandments and talk about them. Talk about them early in the morning. I'm paraphrasing a little bit about what, uh, how, how it was written there. In the morning, talk about it. In the evening, talk about it. While you're going about your daily business, talk about it. Put it in our context. Our faith walk has to be more than just what we do associated with church functions. Okay? When we show up to church on Sunday morning or whenever we happen to have it, when we show up to our Bible studies, when we show up to church programs or church functions, that's all good. But our faith walk, connecting with family members, must be more than that. And that's what Deuteronomy is trying to see. see. It's not just when you go to the temple. It's not just when you go to the synagogue. It's every day. The symbolism. God says you take those commandments and you the, bind them to you on your forehead and on your arm. You even see Jewish people, even today, they'll have the phylacteries, those little boxes that are mounted on, on their uh, left arm, I think. I may be wrong about that. Or on their forehead. The, the mezuzahs, the little scrolls that are posted on the door frames of their house. All of those are literal, literal enactments, of you will, of what God is trying to say to the people. You keep my covenant in front of you all the time. You talk about it. So that when you get into the land, you don't forget me. You see, it's not about rule-keeping. It's remembering who God is. And God, say, God knows He's going to send these people into the land, and it's going to be so easy for them to forget who He is. And He says that you're going to get in there, and you're going to have cities that you didn't build. You're going to have water cisterns that you didn't dig. You're going to have olive trees and vineyards that you didn't plant. And the implication is, you're going to forget who gave it to you. You're going to forget the goodness of the Lord. So what God is instructing, what God is, is trying to set up is so that the generations to come don't forget the mighty works of God. You and I, as, as members of families have a responsibility to continue to tell the story of what God has done in your life. You tell it to your children, you tell it to your grandchildren, you tell it to your nieces and your nephews. And, and I realize that, you know, according to any family dynamic that can be tough, you know, people get, we grow up, you have family members, they don't, you know, they have different opinions, they don't want to hear the stories anymore. I understand all of that. All I'm doing is reminding us that as people of the body of Christ, our families are part 
of our mission field. And we are to continually impact them in every way that we possibly can. We impact them by continuing to talk about uh, God's, uh, you know, God's story, the story of Jesus Christ, make it alive for our family members. We can impact them in the way that we spend our, our time. Time is a commodity. And let's face it, friends, what it, the way that we spend our time says much about what we consider to be important, doesn't it? If, if we give little to no time to the things of God, do you think our family members are going to think God is important to us? Logic does not, you know, tell us that. It, it would be hard for any of us to say that, that God is important if we give God little or if, if any of our time and energy. You think back to the people of Israel again. God, God said, I'm, there, there are appointed times. Go to Leviticus 23, and it's going to start out by saying, God, these are the appointed times that God has given to us. And he starts talking about weekly Sabbath. He talks about uh, annual feast gatherings in which he says, three times a year, my, I want all the adult males to come to Jerusalem. Would you think about, about what an inconvenience that was for those families? You know, they got their lives going on, and how far some of them would have had to travel miles and miles. Days of traveling on foot, or, or with, on, on hor you know, horseback, but, you know, however they would have traveled. They didn't have the conveniences of a car. You hop in a car and travel a few hundred miles. They, they couldn't do that. And God said, you gather and you come. It was an investment of time, and they did it. And they didn't do it because Jerusalem had this great marketing plan. If you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we, we've become a consumer culture, and that's even crept into the church. The people didn't go to Jerusalem because the, the, the Chamber of Commerce of Jerusalem was putting out brochures, you know, encouraging people to come. Hey, we've got a special this year, you know, half off your hotel room, and, you know, it's going to be great with all these activities. That's not why they came. They came because they knew how good God had been, and they knew it was going to be a time of festivity. They knew it was a celebration. But they came because God had told them to, and it was part of their story in which they could reenact the goodness of God. It was a time investment. We, we teach our families what's important to us through time. We can teach our families what's important by the way we pray. Many of us have parents as parents, have taught our children all kinds of things. As parents, you want to teach your children what's important, don't you? Think about what, what you teach your children. You want to teach your children uh, good financial practices, how, how to handle their money. You want to teach your children uh, good work ethic. You want to teach your children how to be a good socially responsible person in their communities. There are all kinds of things that we want to teach our children. Why? because we know it's going to benefit them as they grow up. Why would we not consider our relationship with God any different? It's the same thing. We want to invest in the lives of our children by telling them the things about God, which might include how to pray. You ever teach your children how to pray? Well, I hope so. Okay, teach your grandchildren how to pray. Talk with them about how to pray. Have a conversation with them about what they might want to pray about. What's on your heart? Talk about them. What, what, what would you want to pray for the body of Christ? How would you want to pray for the church? 
You might learn about how they're thinking about the church, how they're thinking about the things of faith. You might uh, be able to enter into a, a you know, it's, it's more than just teaching them how to give thanks before a meal. It's being in a dynamic conversation with them so that they understand how to powerfully pray for the church. All of these things are ways that we can impact our family members to keep them in covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. All of these things are important to us because in God's paradigm, faith is a family Faith is a family matter. And your place in your family is important because God will work through you to connect your sons, your daughters, your extended family to the redeeming story of God. And just as God will use you to connect your extended family to Him, He will also use you to, ex to connect your extended family to the body of Christ. Because in God's paradigm, family matters. The dynamic of family matters. God brings us into the body of Christ so that we function together as a family. So the invitation that you have in this week's message is to think about how you're helping your home family or your extended family connect as a family to the family of God. Are you encouraging, are you nurturing your family to be part of the body of Christ called the church? As I mentioned a few minutes ago, the, the little passage in 1 Corinthians that we read seems a little bit out of the way, and I recognize that. It's not a passage in which we get some powerful uh, doctrinal statement. We don't form our theology around it. But it's a passage that is, is somewhat common in that Paul here and in other places gets very personal. When, when he uh, wraps up many of his correspondences, he starts naming names. And he gets very warm, very uh, touching. He, he, he gets very personal. And I think he does that quite on purpose. Because I think it's Paul's intent to nurture a family dynamic among the people who are called Christian in his generation. He, he mentions to the Corinthian church these uh, people, uh, Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus. Uh, some of the people like this that Paul tends to mention, we know little about, if anything other than that he has mentioned their names. I want to be very careful not to uh, suggest to you that we know more than what we actually know about these people. There, there's been some thought about Stephanus. We, we do know that Paul mentioned Stephanus in the first chapter of this correspondence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that he baptized Stephanus and his household. And so there's at least that relationship going on. Paul says that his household was the first fruits, or some translations may say, that, say the first converts in Achaia. Achaia was the region of Greece in which Corinth was located. Uh, we don't, I don't know for sure. Maybe Stephanus was actually from Corinth, or it may have been from another part of another town around that area. I don't know for sure. 
One of the things that is thought about these guys is that Stephanus uh, may have been a, a, a significant, a prominent member in, in the community, meaning that he probably had a significant family as well as been an owner of servants during that time. It's also thought that Fortunatus and Achaicus may have been slaves who once were in part of his household but, but since have been freed. Now again, we don't know that. that. That's just speculation. But I mention it because it's interesting to think about that. If that is true, and if is in, you know, that's two capital letters, if, if that happens to be true, it says something about the redeeming nature of the gospel when it touches people's lives. There's another passage in the New Testament a little letter that Paul writes, we call it the book of Philemon. You remember that little letter? It's just one chapter long, a very short correspondence, in which Paul writes to a guy named Philemon. Philemon also, according to the traditional understanding of that letter, Philemon would have been a slave owner. There was a, a slave who was supposed to have run away from uh, Philemon. His name was Onesimus. Onesimus had come across Paul. Onesimus had become a believer in Christ. Paul and Onesimus now have this relationship. And so Paul writes back to Philemon to try to repair the relationship between supposedly, as I say, a traditional understanding of the letter, to repair the relationship from that slave owner and the servant who was subservient to him. Paul talks in that letter in redeeming fashion so that you, Philemon, may receive him back, not as a servant, but as a brother. And you see, once again, how Paul understands that in Jesus Christ, the relationships we have with one another are transformed. They are not what they used to be. They become something new, something better, something redeemed. And that's something that we have to remember about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we may be redeemed people. And part of that redemption, yes, we are redeemed, we are renewed, we are in new relationship with God, but we are also in new relationship with one another in Jesus Christ. And that's part of the dynamic that we start to see happen in these New Testament letters. It was happening there in Philemon. It may be happening here. Possibly. We don't know for sure, but it could be. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and talking about Stephanus and, and these other guys. And, and he wants not only for them to, be, uh, to, to acknowledge the work these guys have given themselves for the work of ministry, the service to the saints. And so he's not only commending them, but he's wanting them to know that, that these people are important and they should be received as brothers in Christ. And Paul says in, uh, in verse 18 about Stephanus, apparently Stephanus had come to him, and he says, they have refreshed my spirit and yours. That's a powerful statement. Do you know what it feels like to be refreshed? There have been times in my life when I've been refreshed. If you've ever had a really good vacation... How many of you have ever taken vacation and you've been more tired when you came back than when you went? Has that ever happened to anybody else? Okay, 
Now, I'm not saying that I don't enjoy some parts of vacations like that, but when I come back from them, I'm wondering if I don't need a vacation to recover from my vacation. There have also been times when I've taken a vacation that has been solely for refreshing. And it's designed in such a way that when it's over, you feel new. You feel strengthened. You feel more vibrant than when you took, than, than before. That's what refreshing means. Refreshing also comes from the relationships that we have through true brothers and sisters in Christ. This is part of the gift that we have by being brought into the church. You probably know what it's like to have friends that are so close that they're like family. You stay over at their houses, you go on vacations with them, you can let your guard down and you can be whomever you are with them. They are the types of people through whom you can feel refreshed. I can give witness that in the last, I'm starting to lose track of the math, is it 23 years now, that my family and I have been going from place to place, serving congregations in pastoral ministry. Along the way, our family has been blessed to encounter other families. And I'm not saying that it's a great number of families. We make a lot of friends in places we go. But there are those families that become so close that they are refreshing to you. And I would still contend that those relationships are some of the closest relationships that I've ever had in my life. Much closer than even many of those who are even my, my blood relatives. It's part of God's gift to you and me. And I think that is what Paul is trying intentionally to weave among the people called Christian in his day. He, he talks in in family ways, twice in that little passage that we read, he uses the term brethren, or if, it's, if you read a more, dyn, a more modern translation, it probably says brothers and sisters. Why would he use terms like that if not to try to foster a family relationship among them? He says in verse 20, or yes, in verse 20, um, to greet one another with a holy kiss. That's very intimate. Now, I realize that in our, in our 21st century Western culture, uh, we probably don't much know what a holy kiss looks like, and many of you probably aren't really eager to find out right now, are you? Especially with COVID-19 going on, you know, those, those kinds of gestures are, you know, we're really kind of keeping that at odds. Um, we don't practice. There, there are still some traditions of Christianity that carry on a practice like a holy kiss, they do it in such a way that it, it's kept very much above board. It doesn't foster inappropriate desires among people like it shouldn't. But even though we in, in our culture don't practice a holy kiss, we shouldn't lose the meaning that's behind it. The, uh, the need to, to reach out and to greet and to nurture one another as brothers and sisters in Christ in the most deep levels, and I would almost use the word intimate in a, in a way that doesn't imply something that it's not meant to.
Those are the kinds of relationships that we are called into in the church. And I think that's part of why this congregation, in its vision statement, has said, we are family. Have you forgotten your vision statement? That we are to be a family rooted in Christ and reaching out in love? What does that word family mean? If not, that we consider each other in relationship with one another at the deepest level. It acknowledges the fact that, yes, we're going to be like family. We're not always going to see eye to eye on things. We're, we're going to, you know, sometimes we're going to have those odd family dynamics like, yeah, that's uncle, what is it, whatever. We try not to pay attention to him and his quirks. At all. You, everybody has one of those, don't you? Like every family has one of those, yeah, he's, I mean, he is like he is. And just, you know, but we're family, that's what it is. It means all of that. And when we read these passages where Paul is talking to the church, we have to remember that Paul is trying his best to nurture among the believers the deep connection that could be called nothing more than family in Christ. And that's why I want to invite you today to remember that part of what we do as, as the body of Christ is to, work, is, is to work with our family, our extended family, in whatever form you find yourself in it right now. I mean, some of you are at the, at the grandparent, great-grandparent stage. Some of you are, are younger generations. In whatever it is, you are a person of influence in your family. It's part of your mission field. Don't take that lightly. Pray about it. Think about it. Commit to impacting your family, connecting your family to the family of God that is the body of Christ. It is what we are called to do. And the body of Christ is strengthened when we do it well. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that we are family in you. And as much as we come from so many different places and so many different walks, it's still amazing that you can weave together uh, a body of Christ followers that are so different. And especially as we look, Lord, to your universal church, uh, believers who uh, worship differently, who look differently, who live in different places, or maybe even live in our community. Father, we are one in you. And I know that for every one of us right now, we can think of people in our homes or people in our extended families that, that may just need a good word of, of witness, a word of encouragement. They need us. They need you to work through us. And so I pray for every one of us, Father, that you would help us today, help us in the days to come, to just think and pray and consider how we can be a witness, a, a point of connection for those who are in our family, bringing them closer to the body of Christ. We know that you're the one who does it, and so we offer the work to you. We pray nothing else than the body of Christ will be strengthened through our work and through our witness, that Jesus Christ will be lifted up and given glory. We ask it in his wonderful name. Amen. 
We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.